Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. I'm so excited because today is our very first listener question episode. That means we're going to spend all day long taking questions that listeners just like you submitted to Jake and I through Discord, through email, through casual conversations on the internet. I wish I could say I got one of these questions in person or in the physical mail, but there's no physical mailbag and no one asked me a question in person, not even Maya. Jake, how are you feeling? Are you excited for this episode? I'm super excited about this episode. One, I didn't prep at all. That was nice. Uh, And two, (laughs) am I revealing too much about my process? Uh, uh, And and two, you know, actually that's, that's it. I'm, just stoked to get into some of these questions. There's a ton of great questions, and I think it's going to be very different and very, very fun. Same. As all of you want to know, uh, we've already announced games that are upcoming to some extent, but we always like to let our pre-planners, the people who play games along with us in preparation for future episodes of the show, we always like to let you know what we're going to play so you can do that. So coming up, we're going to be covering the Phil Walker-Harding super light drafting game, Sushi Go!, might touch on sushi go party a little bit but it will mostly be about that core card set in sushi go and we'll really dive deep on that so i'm looking forward to that and then we'll probably cover downforce at some point in the near near future both these games are on board game arena and you can learn them both really quickly play them both very quickly so if you're interested have a player six or ten brendan we did just achieve a huge milestone for our show we got we achieved our first ever patreon goal of 10 patreon supporters so we are considering our show our interdecisional spaceship if you will all crewed up uh, and ready to take on bigger and better things so we want to say thank you right now to our inaugural crew that's something that you will have forever as part of this elite force of decision explorers so i'll do the first five jake and you can do the second five and truly thank you so much to all 10 of you it means so much to have your support of the show and it's just awesome seeing where we've ended up and i'm so excited to have you on the crew of the interdecisional spaceship so thank you krill thank you joe punman thank you brett thank you john doan and thank you up to manatee thank you inder thank you william Auks. thank you couch our chief leisure officer on board Thank you, Tiago, and thank you to our newest Patreon supporter, B Flat. Uh, if you want to learn more about the our Patreon and how you can support the show, check out decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon. We got perks on there. We, we really tried to be thoughtful uh, about what would give you extra value and that type of thing. So definitely encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, we'll also include the link, as always, in the description of this very podcast. Awesome. Well, I think we should get into it. Uh, So for our first question here, we have one from Anonymous. Can I nominate Decision Space in the Board Game Geek nominations for 2022 on Board Game Arena? What what do you think, Jake? Wow, what a timely question from Anonymous. I'm so glad you asked. I couldn't think for a better question to start off this podcast with. Uh, The answer to that is an unequivocal yes. We will include the link for how you can do that in the show notes. Uh, I posted it in the announcements on Discord. And what this is, is it's sort of the first round of voting for the Golden Geeks nomination to to just get us a nomination. That would mean so much to our show. So, Brendan, here's my pitch, okay? okay? If you're a listener for this show, we basically need all of you to vote for us in order to get us into the nomination stage. And that's all we want. Like, we know... We're not going to win the Golden Geek for best podcast of the year. Maybe that's something we set our sights down three, four years down the road. But we think there's a chance we could get nominated, and that would be absolutely huge for us. Why not give us your vote in this first stage? Your favorite, bigger podcast is still going to get nominated, still going to get in there. You can still vote for them. We won't even ask for your vote in the second round. We just want to get nominated. So that's my pitch. And it only takes about 20 seconds. And I think you can even do up to 10 in each category for nominations. But it would mean the world to us. And even just getting nominated would be an amazing way for the show to just reach a broader audience, allowing Jake and I to have more interesting conversations that hopefully you're already enjoying. So thanks for considering it. And now we should move on to the next question. We're going to start with a big one. Jake, what has been the most valuable thing that you've learned from doing the podcast? 
Yeah. It's one I thought about a, a little bit. I wonder if the person asking this question was thinking, you know, in terms of board games. But I think mm. really for me, the honest and sincere answer to this uh, is is more to do with creating a podcast. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that the lesson that I've learned is sort of twofold. Uh, one, uh, and this is something that I actually heard Kellen say from Board Game Barrage, uh, which is that if there isn't joy in making the show, then any outcomes you can achieve is at best a wash, right? If the outcomes make you happy, but you're not happy doing it, uh, then you know, you're know you best zeroing out. Uh, so that's something I really try to take into heart and in the Christmas show and make sure that you know it's something that we are constantly having fun doing. Uh, and sometimes that means, you know, with a weekly show, having to make some concessions. You know, we can't play every game a hundred times. Uh, we can just play it as many times as we can comfortably and enjoyably do, and then do our best to, to present the decisions in the game from there. Uh, so really taking a step back and trying to operate within that framework. And then I think that the second thing is just in terms of building a show, uh, it has been consistency, 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 you know, trying to get the show out every week. Uh, we haven't missed a week yet. Uh, again, sometimes there might be some concessions with that, but I think when we started this out, we didn't really realize we were going to be doing it weekly, but I think having that kind of as a constant motivating factor and not to say we'll never miss a week or we'll never be a few days delayed or anything like that has been something that's really, I think both driven the show forward and helped us to grow more than anything else. Yeah, awesome. I think that I share a lot in just remembering how important having joy in what we do is. And I think that it comes really naturally. Like we both love just sitting down together and talking about board games. So it's really exciting to be able to do that. Um, and I think that when there's things, I, for a while, when we were first starting to record the show, I think we felt bad when we didn't like games. Uh, and we didn't want to talk about games that we didn't enjoy the decisions of in not glowing terms. And I think that's something we've become a lot more comfortable with. So I, we still don't want the show to be like ragging on games because that's not fun. We'd rather just talk about things we like most of the time. Uh, but one thing, this is not my this is not my answer. I'm just responding to your question. I'm being a really bad host and I'm ignoring <laughs> the question for the time being and responding, uh, which is that I just I think sometimes that can be a lot of that can be an enjoyable process and you learn something different than just exploring things that you enjoy. So that's one thing that I've learned kind of tied to what you're talking about and just become more comfortable with. So I really appreciate that. The most important thing I've learned, I think has been, and I'm going to do the board game answer. A lot of these questions are board game related. Also listeners, I should have said this at the top of the show. Some of them are not, uh, and we'll just kind of rapid fire through. So there's lots of board game content tucked in here, but you might hear about Jake's dog and you might hear about food and you might hear about, I don't know what else. So it's all in here. It's going to be exciting, but lots of board games too. I think the most valuable thing I've learned is just an appreciation for thinking about how decisions are made in games and the shape that they take. Uh, after we had this string of episodes, we did Magic the Gathering and then Welcome to... And then we did the types of decision space episode and they were like the first 20 in the first 15 episodes we did. And I think that breakthrough of thinking about how decision spaces change over the course is the biggest breakthrough for me in terms of the show so far. Some of the overlaid objective stuff has been really helpful as well in terms of how I think about games and decisions I'm making. But I think that realization of thinking about the shape over the course of the game has been the most revealing in why certain games feel how they do in the the way that they juxtapose. And now it feels so obvious and so innate. Um, and I think that a lot of times those are the realizations that are going to create the most value when it feels like you couldn't think about it any other way and you can't believe that you previously thought about it differently. Um, that's what we're searching for, I think, a lot of times. And it's fun when it happens. So for me, I think it's probably that. Great answer. Actually, no, that's going to be annoying. We'll just have to remember I want to ask you, Brendan, where is, the, and the, all these questions from listeners, thank you so much for giving them to us. So, Brendan, where is your favorite place to play games? Mm, I That's a really good question. I love being at on vacation at like a, a rental home, but it's raining outside and <laughs> everyone is on board to just play board games all day. So there's no guilt of the fact that we're not like going out and exploring the woods or whatever the destination might be. And we can just like play games all day. I also love playing games uh, in bed. 
if I can make that happen. Like sometimes Maya and I will play a, a quick roll and write or quick card game instead of, you know, watching an episode of TV and reading. That's just like mm, primo board game space. How about you? That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not bad for me. You know, I like, I love that your answer involved external circumstances. I think that's kind of like one of our secret superpowers as, as gamers. And it kind of applies to people who like love video games too. But where, you know, the rest of the world's like, oh man, it's raining outside all on Saturday. It's gonna be raining all day and there's nothing to do. And we're kind of like rubbing our hands together, like nothing to do outside, you say. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, make it be raining. But I think my favorite place to play is just in the comfort of my own home at my dining room table. Um, yeah, I have everything I need here. It's always fun hosting people. So that's kind of an added bonus for me. Uh, yeah, so I, I pick the comfort of my own home. Uh, I'm not do you, just as a quick follow. Do you, are you like a pub gamer in your past life, like bringing a game out to a bar, playing there, meet up, that type of thing? Definitely occasionally. Uh, but I will say that I find it really distracting and a little difficult. Sometimes the lighting's not perfect. I'd much rather play at a board game cafe where the space is dedicated mm. to games and sort of everyone knows why you're there, what you're doing. Um, I can find I just sometimes at pubs, it's just too much going on. How about you? Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. I'm not crazy about like pubs especially if it's not like this is the game night and there's a lot of people doing that yeah, like, yeah. i just don't necessarily want to not that i'm embarrassed about playing games but i just don't necessarily like want to make myself like the center of attention in that way of like having some like crazy complicated looking object totem on the table and people are kind of like peering over my shoulder the whole time like hey what are you doing makes me like a tad bit uncomfortable uh, i think coffee shops are a lot better because it's just a, a lot quieter, less people sort of moving around and, and like less drunk patrons to sort of <laughs> start interacting with your game uh, unasked. I agree. I think like small box card games play amazingly well in coffee shops. You can just like sit down, pull out the game, play something in 20 minutes. Awesome. Move along. Totally. Okay. Jake, have you ever considered designing a game? I have. Yeah. Uh, so being the host on the show, that's not a published game designer. I think that's a good question. So I have done uh, a, a couple of game designs. So I participated in like the 2019 nine card print and play design challenge on Board Game Geek. That was a really fun uh, challenge. I designed a game called Boarding Group, which I think you could still find online on BGG. And basically the, the concept of the game is you have a group of people, like a, a travel group represented by die, uh, in or dice in three different colors and what you're trying to do is like put the dice onto seats on a plane so like the cards actually represent the cabin of a plane uh, and then the die face represent the age of passengers so like one is like a baby so like if a one's in a row you don't want your color of die to be in the row next to the baby because that's going to be like negative points for that um, but then you also get points for like having two of the same age passengers next to each other because of like shared experience, maybe to like talk to them, that type of thing. Points for window seats and aisle, like negative points for middle seats. Uh, and it's sort of a, a die placement game like that. Very simple. Not, you know, I don't super recommend you go check it out. Uh, I don't think it's like the most fun game in the world to play, but it is a functional game that I put out there. So that's kind of neat. I have, I'm on like the third iteration of a kickball, the board game prototype. Uh, that I've been kicking around since like I first entered the hobby in 2015. I played like three board games. I was like, yep, time to design my own <laughs> mega hit board game, which I think is kind of a shared experience for a lot of people. Again, you know, I've made some playable prototypes. I've even had some play tests where friends are like, this is actually fun. Like, I'd like to play this again, but nothing that's like satisfied my own expectations for it. So those are my two main experiences with designing a game. It's definitely a bucket list thing that I want to continue to pursue. I've got some other ideas kicking around right now as well. Has the show, has doing the show made you want to design games more? Despite uh, having less time, maybe? I think so. And I think in large part, that's just from interacting with you and other designers has given me like the confidence that mm. I can do it. Because I think designing a game is kind of a interesting juxtaposition where it's like, you don't need any technical skills at all to design a board game like it's so accessible in that way like i couldn't just say like i'm going to design a video game and start doing it because i don't know how to code um, sure. but i could 
take out printer paper and just start writing and I've got a board in five or 10 minutes. So it's like so accessible in that way. But then I think the more you kind of like think about it and start like going through that process, like, and, and, you know, revisit some of your favorite games and just kind of realize like the act, it feels like abject genius to put together mm. some of this stuff. And, and, and it kind of makes you think on that angle, like, wow, like creating a game that actually works and is fun is almost impossible. So I think it's like those two conflicting forces. Yeah. And, and I think doing the show has given me more confidence. That's like, no, I could, I could do this. You know, totally. It's a Good. feasible thing. You could. Thanks. <laughs> uh, what about you? Why don't you talk uh, just first? I know some probably listeners are somewhat familiar with your design history, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what games you have out there. Are you working on anything now? That type of thing. Yeah. So I have two published games, Enchanted Plumes from Calliope Games that came out in 2021 last year. Uh, it's a small box card game and it's really fun. I think it's about putting together plumes uh, using feather cards of 10 different colors. And then I have a game before that, another card game called Ramen Ramen, in which you are combining ingredients uh, into shared bowls on the table and you're trying to be the player who completes the bowl and you also get more points for the more varied types of ingredients that are in a bowl uh, but it scores when the value of cards in it uh, reach a certain threshold or cross it so there's this tension between increasing the value in certain bowls to try to force your opponent to play into bowls to set you up to score them um, and then i'm working on a ton of different prototypes uh more one problem that I think I have with design and I heard this quote a long time ago which is that you need to have more I, I think this is a gatekeeping comment and I don't like it but I'm repeating it because I do think there's true some truth to the idea to design games you have to more have more ideas than the number of games that you can work on or at least I think it helps so I have way too many ideas and way too many like started prototypes um, but in terms of active prototypes I have three games that I could confidently pitch right now I'm really happy with where the games are at uh, and then a bunch more sort of in between stages of development. And then I would say two or three prototypes that I really want to put together. Uh, but thanks to the show and having a baby and being in grad school, I haven't been working on them as much. So it's something I really want to get back into. And then I'm going to, Jake, if it's okay with you, answer this question that's on the same note, uh, which is what were some of the most in interesting challenges you face in creating and releasing your games today, to date? In the case of Enchanted Plumes, uh, one of the biggest challenges with that game uh, was really figuring out how to make this starting, how to streamline the rules to keep the game simple and intuitive so that anyone can play it and also avoid randomness at the start. So that game originally had this really annoying drafting mechanism. At the time, I thought it was really cool, but you would draft from this face-up display of cards on the table uh, to build your starting hands. And then the rest of the game had nothing to do with that mechanic. And I, the mechanic was kind of cool. It was fun. But it was so brutal sort of asking people who were the audience for this game, which is, I think, anyone who could play who's ever played a game with a deck of cards. That's like who Enchanted Plumes is for. So almost anyone. And then forcing them to learn this whole draft system and then play the game. It's just so much easier to do what the new mechanism is, which is here's nine cards, pick six, and that's your starting hand. And that like even things out enough. Um, so I think learning how to say goodbye to things that I thought were cool and knowing that uh, you could just put it in something else later. Like you, you don't have to, if it's a good idea, you'll use it again. So I think that was one challenge I faced was just getting over that hump and being able to say like, yeah, I had this good idea, but who cares? Like it's not the best idea for this game. And I think that's something as a designer that I really had to learn early on is that there's tons of good ideas, but good game design is finding the right ideas for the right context, not just finding lots of good ideas and shoving them together. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's just change it up, Brendan. So we have this question. What board game YouTube channel do you recommend to us and or any other non-board game channels? And I'll go ahead and answer this first since you've been talking a lot. Um, so I, I'm not a huge consumer of board game media on YouTube. I primarily get it through podcasts and I already listen to like a half dozen board game podcasts on a weekly basis if I can. Uh, so I, you know, when I'm on YouTube, I'm uh, doing other things. So uh, I, I'll just take the opportunity to recommend a couple of channels that I really like. One of them is that I've been really enjoying lately is uh, called Colin and Samir. And that podcast, it's a podcast, but it's also a YouTube channel. Um, and it's it's all about like what they sort of dub the creator economy, um, which is, you know, 
basically all kinds of insights, interviews, deep dives into topics relating to this like new career that exists for some people, which is like creating content on YouTube or TikTok uh, or, you know, on a, a podcast or whatever else. And I think it's been really fascinating to me as, you know, a baby amateur creator myself through this podcast to, to sort of take these ideas uh, that, that people are sharing there and seeing if and how they could be applicable to our show. And that's not necessarily just like, oh, we need to like make this show big so we can like monetize it and get, you know, make, make money off. So, but, you know, a lot of, I think what it boils down to is like to be successful, what you need to do is like create the best possible show you can for the people that are likely to listen and discover it. Um, so that's been really interesting. I would say start with their interview with Mr. Beast, who is the largest channel today on YouTube, I believe. Um, and they have like a two hour interview with like all kinds of crazy insight about basically how uh, this guy, Mr. Beast runs his entire operation, which is just like pretty mind blowing. Uh, and the second recommendation I want to give uh, sounds very niche and specific, but I think that a surprising number of people listening to our show would really enjoy it. Uh, is the Jomez Pro channel, and they are the premier disc golf coverage channel. So they they uh, do tournament coverage uh, and show rounds. And I think uh, you know, even if that sounds like something that you have no interest in, you've never played disc golf or at all. I think you'll kind of in seeing that get what I mean when I talk about like mega dexterity games and and how sports in many cases exist on the same spectrum of game as board games. And there are so many similar decisions interwoven in a game disc golf that you might find your board game, uh, risk versus reward, like choosing the right item to use at the right time when you're, you know, you're selecting discs and then immediately getting to see whether people's best laid plans pay off or not. It's really fascinating. And there's just something that I think is uh, so much fun and just like appeals to the human and all of us. That's just like watching a disc fly through the air. Uh, it's really fun and exciting. It's kind of like flying a kite, you know, throwing a frisbee to your friend. It's just something exciting. Humans making these things fly and doing things that like you couldn't ever dream really is even possible. It's totally mind blowing stuff. Nice. You just did a really good job because you answered another question that we got inside the question that we were asked. And our listeners don't even know you just did that. So I'm very impressed. <laughs> uh, YouTube channels. I recommend, okay, board game related. All you can board is a smaller channel that covers new releases. Uh, they have lots of sort of collected videos. They're also big Reiner Knizia fans. So that probably makes me like them more. You could, should check them out. I also really like W. Eric Martin's reviews on the Board Game Geek channel specifically. I think his videos are really thoughtful and in in depth looks at games that typically uh, are either he comes at them from a different angle that I think a lot of people do. They might be games that other people are overlooking, but he's someone who's been a part of the board game community for so long. He writes board game geek news uh, on board game geek all the time. And he just has a really cool pers perspective and I really enjoy watching his videos. I think he brings something a little bit different than a lot of reviewers do. And then if you're looking for something not board game related, I really like, uh, Jeremy Parrish's videos on YouTube. You can just look Jeremy Parrish. Um, and, but these are specifically retro video game videos. So if you're interested in retro video games, I think his channel is awesome. And there's typically lots of really in-depth history that you never could, would have known without engaging with his content, whether it's those videos or the podcast he does called Retronauts, uh, which I also really recommend. So I think those are my recommendations. I don't spend a ton of time on YouTube these days. Uh, I used to, watching YouTube used to be a much more regular part of my entertainment and relaxation, but I don't, I don't have as much downtime in front of computers specifically these days. Awesome. Okay, Jay, if you could make a movie based on a board game, what would it be and who would you cast in it? Wow. I'm whole... <laughs> <laughs> this one makes me wish I had prepped something. Um, I'm so bad too with like, for whatever reason, like I'm never somebody who can like quickly recall people's names. So anything I can think of would be like, with that guy from the other movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, maybe not who you would cast in it then. Just what movie based on a board game? Growing up, I was like a huge, huge uh, fan of the show BattleBots. Mm. Like in its original iteration of that game. Uh, or in its original iteration of that show. Um which is, if you're not familiar, it's basically like a robot fighting contest where like 
uh, amateur teams of robot creators <laughs> build robots that fight in this arena, and you're literally trying to, uh, you know, damage your opponent's robot so that it can no longer function for a knockout or do more damage to like win a the judge's verdict at the end as in like in a boxing fight like who who is like more aggressive who did more damage um so that's pretty similar to the board game robo rally um so i think i could see like a you know a robo rally style like contest show uh you know not nothing too serious like maybe even almost like a comedy like i could see that being like almost like a judd apatow style like comedy premise where you know, there's like a, a, a rom-com romance between team members and they're entering. It's all built around this robot contest. Uh, so I think that could be a ton of fun. Uh, you know, give me uh, maybe like Paul Rudd is team captain and he's... <laughs> I dig it. I'm just imagining do- dodgeball with robots. Yeah, no, but yeah, but like not quite that silly, you know, like, sure. like with some like actual, like sincere moments too. For sure. And you really care. Say- like you care. You want yeah. them to win at the end. Okay. I have two answers. One, obviously room service, the movie and everyone's gonna be like, Brendan, that's already a thing. Just go watch Kiki's Dis- delivery service, which is an amazing Miyazaki film and you should watch it. It's lovely. But I want like new broom service. Like I want a live action broom service, not just anime. Um, about a witch delivery service delivering potions and i want to i want to know the relationship between all of the witches in broom service i want to know why uh so you're you're, (laughs) what you're basically asking for like the live action lion kinging of the kiki's delivery service okay bold take yes but i want them to explore the characters presented to us i want to know why irby the herb gatherer is motivated to gather herbs that's like, we all... literally know that. That's like the only thing we know about the characters. <laughs> okay, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Why is the hill druid? All these things. I don't even remember his name. I only know Irby's name. I also want to see, I think it'd be hilarious if they made a board game based on so, like a really simple card game or something. Like what does uh, the Fox in the Forest, the movie look like? I yeah. don't know, but I want yeah, to see it. It's interesting too. And also just, uh generally like how about a movie like any movie that's like based on like a really serious depiction of like a game tournament of some kind is also like right up my alley yeah Um, definitely you know we were just talking to discord about an anime i need to check out apparently that's all about uh go somebody was talking about it being the thing that really inspired them to get interested in learning go in the first place i'm not like the biggest anime fan in the world but like there's like a small niche of anime it's not that small but like anime that cover like sports stuff like there's like a basketball one called like kuroko basketball um that's like for whatever reason that just gets me like when you take that anime depiction of like a real life sports thing that it just gets me like so hyped like that's probably one of my favorite shows ever wow i didn't know that's awesome uh okay let's see okay brendan what is the worst part of your favorite game hmm that's really hard. I don't know. I don't know if I even could tell you what my favorite game is, but I think on the podcast, I've said my favorite game ever is Cosmic Encounter. And I think that's a pretty close uh, answer. Yeah. So this is easy for you. What? Are you going to just say everything? You're so rude. Um, the worst part about Cosmic is I would say, I think that the hand mechanism management mechanism is like kind of crap. And I wish that the game just didn't make you play in that way and i I do think it enables interesting it forces you to have interesting conversations and discussions in terms of the way negotiations play out uh but it can be sucky to be dealt a hand where you feel like you have very little agency so i think that's probably my least favorite part of what otherwise is an incredible game full of really exciting moments and awesome table talk and discussions and really cool powers i think the mechanics of how the card play in terms of combat plays out leaves a little bit to be desired like 35, 40 years on from when it was first designed. How about you, Jake? Um, yeah, so for me, on my most recent list, I had Castles of Burgundy as my number one game. And I think that the the worst part of that game is that like for a game as really simple and streamlined it is to play, it's a bear to teach. You have to teach like so many different tiles. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some pretty good player aids on the board, at least in my older edition of the game that you can kind of like show reference to but to start playing that game 
on even footing. Players really need to know what every single tile in the game does. At least the maybe you can get away with like, okay, we'll explain the science tiles as they come up. But other than that, it's just a bear. It takes a long time to teach, and that makes it uh, seem a lot less accessible than it, I think it really is, and therefore difficult to get to the table uh, with people who've never played it before or, or new gamers. And also, in the new edition of the game, I think the six science tile is just actually broken. Uh, it just seems like way above and beyond the power curve, which is also something that you see in Bruges, my other favorite um, Steppenfeld game. So that's just something to be aware of too. You know, in both cases, I think I would choose to kind of house rule an aspect of it, which is a negative. You and Joe invited me to a game of Bonfire, another Steffenfeld game. And by you two invited me, I'm saying that because I actually invited you, but now it feels like you invited me because I'm clunding this game on Yukata with you guys. And I just, I can't, I, I don't know what's going on. And I feel so bad. I tried to learn it two times. I think if I sat down and relearned the rules, I could play it. But at this point, I'm just like, Steffenfeld, what are you doing to me? I don't care about these gnomes and their stupid bonfires. And I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. And it's so painful. And I just want out. I just want out. Okay. <laughs> Um, is there this is such a mean question but I'm going to ask it and then I'm going to ask the one above it Jake is there a game you would prefer eating over playing it and no I'm not asking the top one with it is there a game you'd prefer eating over playing it that's pretty funny I, so this comes from uh, a tweet that we were, that got shared around in our discord a little bit uh, that, that kind of came about when uh, Tigers and Euphrates first left the board game deep top 100 and there's a comment thread on Twitter and somebody like chimes in it's like I'd rather eat a copy of Great Western Trail than play. That's a big <laughs> no, game. No, no, it was. I'd rather eat a copy of Tigers and Euphrates than play a copy of Great Western Trail, <laughs> <laughs> which oh. is both hilarious and also I can't believe that's really true. There's um, a lot of wood in there. I'm gonna, you know, hey, we're we do honestly and sincerity on the show. I think that there's not a game I'd rather eat than play. Uh, however. I did. There is a person on Instagram called Board Game Bakes that actually makes playable versions of games. And one day on Instagram, one day I was on Instagram. It was like a Sunday morning. And like literally, for whatever reason, I just decided I'm just going to like spread a little bit of joy. And I just took 20 minutes, had my coffee, and I just scrolled through my Instagram and just liked every single post for like 20 minutes. Okay. And so three days later, I get this uh, message from Board Game Bakes on Instagram. It's like, congratulations, you've won the contest I was running. Like, where should I ship this, like, fully baked and playable copy of Tiny Towns? What? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I posted uh, this on my Instagram, uh, which is at Chicken Fried Games. Uh, but anyway, it was really fun. I played it with uh, my wife, Bridget, and then we made some tea and we ate it and it was a great time. So that was uh, not exactly answering the question, but that was a game that I enjoyed to play as much as eat. That's amazing. Is that the only time you play Tiny Towns too? I played it uh, one other time at a convention. I, th nice. I think it's like a very good game, but cool. probably not one I need in my collection. Was it a delicious game? It was delicious. Like, it was like, you know, thoughtfully made shortbread. It wasn't That's just awesome. like pure function. That's so cool. I'm going to go with, yeah, I, there's probably no game I'd rather eat than play, uh, unless it was made out of cookies, and then I would definitely rather eat it, especially if I only have to play it once. Like, whatever, I'll just play it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> unless it's like a 30-hour game or something. What would, but, be like the, what would be like the least bad game? To eat? I'm just trying to think, like, what is like Definitely the, a card game. Right, but like, what's card the smallest card game? Oh, wait, no, there's cubes in it. What's, yeah, what's mm. like the smallest paper-only if Maybe you so. go with button shy, you'd have to eat a wallet, so you can't pick button shy, right? Oh, yeah, probably not. Because it, I'm not eating the plastic. Our print print yeah, plays print off play. the table. <laughs> it's gonna be a published game. So yeah, so if if you love letter kind of works, but if I mean, you, you have could to probably packaging. It's like oh, you're eating a bag. You could probably swallow the cubes. the cubes and be fine, right? Probably, but then you have to deal with the like velour bag. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. want to see that come out the other no. side. Yeah, okay. If the answer is none, <laughs> come on, people. <laughs> Be reasonable. Okay, so what's the... Oh, wait, I think it's your turn. Wait, what, what's the bad question you wouldn't ask? I want to know. Do you like box farts? Oh, do you? <laughs> it's satisfying. This is when you put... When you take a box... Okay, do we have to define this. When you take... You know, sometimes you're taking a board game box and you're pulling it off and then you push it down and the way the air presses out, it kind of flaps the cardboard. 
and makes a little farting noise. That's a box fart. Jake, do you like box farts? Yeah, definitely. That's satisfying. Let it, it, let it out there. What are more? What's more satisfying, box farts or the smell of a freshly print, printed card game? Definitely the smell of the card yeah, I, game. Yeah, I'm like, sure. I'm such a junkie on that. I'm like, Bridget, smell this. And she's oh like... <laughs> I'm like, isn't that amazing? I was just going to say, Jake, three days ago, I was like, we do, we got a new game. I opened Trails of Dukana and I was like, Maya, you have to smell these cards. And she was like, no, why are you like this? It's just like ink, right? It's yeah, like... it's just from the printer. Yeah. yeah. I've been into a few industrial printers to press check different projects before. And I have to say, the second I walked in, it was like going into Wonderland. It's a little too intense. Yeah. Like, the card printing mutes it and it's mixed more directly with the paper, but the answer too, of course, is because Jake and I are both imprinted for being children who were sold Magic the Gathering. And I was going to say the cards. same thing. So it's like nostalgic uh, directly yeah. into our nostrils. But like, yeah. yeah, I mean, and when you're like a kid with Magic the Gathering cards, like opening a new pack is like the sweaty time is like the best moment of your life yeah. so far. The sweatiest <laughs> fun of all time. <laughs> okay, yeah. Jake, what's the best family or gateway games to teach parents from your experience? Oh, this is a great question. In my case, I've had the best luck with word games. Mm, uh, Codenames, Just One, and uh, So Clover have all been big bit, big hits with my family. My dad is like really, really not interested and not willing to really engage with anything that he doesn't want to engage with. I mean, that's fine. You know, no, no judgment. He just like does his own thing. And so he loves Scrabble and loves poker, but just says he like hates games. I was like, but you, all you do is play like Scrabble and poker all the time. Like try this other game. He's like, no. So I have to kind of like meet him where he is. Uh, so for my family, like word games have been the bridge that he's he's like willing to engage with the only mm. other game i can think of him seeming to actually genuinely like is deep sea adventure by Oink games mm. interesting which is like the simplest lightest game of all time basically yeah. we're just like rolling dice going down i think that's just such a funny i think that's another game like the mind that's almost more of like a magic trick than it is an a, game. a game yeah. Um, but it's still a fun and, and, and the trick is that like everybody suffers and dies at the yeah. beginning yeah. <laughs> um, yeah which is just like a really funny shared experience to have so th that'd be sort of my answer but it's more probably specific to my family so I have two I think Azul works really really well for families who have experience with playing tile games like Rummy Cub my mom uh, falls in that category or like Domino's uh, my mom falls in that category and she picked up Azul very quickly. And also, I really recommend Blue Lagoon as a, a game that works really well for families, but has tons of interesting decisions. The turn structure is so simple that it, it's so super easy to teach, even if there's a lot going on in terms of scoring, which I could see some people being turned off by. Also, if your family has experience with trick-taking games, like if you grew up playing Hearts or Spades or something, uh, Fox in the Forest or things like... The crew and that sort of thing can be a nice bridge. I think that I will say when I played Blue Lagoon with my mom, she bought a copy right away after we finished playing it to play with my aunt. And then my aunt, I believe, also purchased a copy. So lots of fun with Blue Lagoon. I, I really want to try Blue Lagoon, actually. I really genuinely do. Someone clip, clip that. That was Jake <laughs> saying he actually wants to try another Kinesia. Let's go. Uh, okay, Brendan, I'm going to rephrase this question just a okay. little bit. Uh, so we'll call this play once, play for the rest of your life, or never play again. And okay. your options are worker placement, area control, and deck building. So you could play it once, this mechanic once again, I guess. Uh, play it for the rest of your life, and then never play it again. Okay, easy. Never play worker placement games again. Sorry, Feast for Odin. I'm so sorry. And I what guess I'm sorry. Okay. Play deck building once and play area control for the rest of my life. Oh, dude. <laughs> How about you, Jake? Gross. <laughs> deck, I'm definitely never playing deck building again. That's, and then area control once, worker placement for the rest of my life. Uh, some of the questions we got are so thoughtful, Jake, that I feel like they would make better whole episodes. I know. Like, like this question about ex please explore, explore the decision space around the puzzle of maintaining a board game collection. I think we should not. I think that's fine. That no, let's answer it. What? Easy. That's so huge. When to sell, downsize, which factors heavily influence. We could do a whole episode. Okay, got, go I ahead. can give it to you in 
three short sentences. Do, okay, do the three sentences. <laughs> okay. Maintain a collection of about 100 game on two Calyx shelves. If you get to more than that, you should start going one in, one out. I think I did it in two sentences. Awesome. What if, uh, what about... <laughs> <laughs> I just say, there's... like, 100 games is, like... That's a lot of games. That's, like, a very... I, I think my, like, privilege is showing. You definitely do not need that many games at all to have a very robust board game collection that will last you your whole life. I think that games you want to play and games you want to own aren't necessarily the same thing. And it's really good to engage with and learn about new games that might be games you want to play. Uh, but I've had to come to terms with the fact that not all games that I want to play or even want to play occasionally are games that I need to own. And I really want to own games that I'm going to play or want to be able to play in the future. Uh, so I think my collection looks somewhat like my taste overlaid with the potential people I might be able to play those games with because there's no reason for me to own something that I don't really have the potential to play. So if there's a game that I really want to play but don't think I'll be able to play, just don't. You don't need it. Don't You don't need to own it. And if, yeah. if the opportunity arises for you to own something or to play something that you don't own and no one else owns and you're excited, then buy it. But just like wait for the opportunity. No one, you're never going to have five strangers knock on your door. Be like, we're here to play that copy of that five player, two and a half hour, three hour game that you've had in your closet for three years, right? That's not going to happen. It's a dream. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot to say here, you're right. But I think one thing that board gamers have to grapple with, or not have to, do whatever you want. But uh, one thing that I've sort of grappled with <laughs> Uh, is um, like when you're first starting out in the hobby and you're building your collection, every game you buy has so much value to you, mm. right? It's like filling this like brand new niche in your collection. You're excited to play it. You're probably getting it to the table right away at your next game night, right? If you have five games and you get a sixth game, you know, it's like an event. You're going to, at least that's for me, right? I guess got this new game called Castles of Burgundy. It's like supposed to be like super awesome. Like, come on over, like, let's play it, you know, and boom, you know, it's happening. Like you're getting to the table right away. Uh, but now that I have so many games, like each game that I'm adding to my collection is like adding less, you know, relatively less value to my collection as a whole. Um, and so I think like it's important to just sort of like try to keep that in mind because i think it's like really easy to like kind of get stuck in this idea that that it's so easy to fall into when you first are starting buying games that like wow each game is so awesome and it's like adding so much value to my life and then i think that does lessen just naturally along with the size of your collection i totally agree also jake remember when i bought that copy of spirit island for that gag where i even though we're an audio podcast so I could open the shrink on it and I actually did it, but I didn't need to because we're a podcast. So people would have just believed me if I said I was tearing the shrink. I probably didn't need to buy that copy of Spirit Island. Yeah. I haven't played it yet. Oh, no. But I might play it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really that's like a, Spirit Island. That's the other weird thing for me, too, is like I find like more and more like the games that I most want to, yeah, like you said, like the games I most want to play are not the games that I'm most likely to buy. Like I, I buy games that are much lighter than my taste by and large yeah. because those are just the ones that I play with like am, am able to get to the table uh with the friends that I have and I, I you know I love my friends and if I'm playing with my board game friends like then I'm just typically not the one bringing stuff out because yeah. there are people who are have all the hotness and it's like oh cool we're like playing this like oh you like imported this game from Germany is not even out here and we're playing that tonight like cool like I'm not Great. really competing trying to or interested in like competing in that space anyway um so yeah so it's like if i'm like peruse i had an opportunity to kind of uh peruse a game store recently when i was visiting home with my mom and she's like i'll buy you any game you want for your birthday uh and I, you know i end up coming out of the store with like savannah park and uh walking in verano which mm -hmm. are like two games that just like uh appealed to me lightweight on board game uh geek uh, that I think Bridget might be interested in trying with me. You know, it's like, even, it's like, out of my eye, it's like, I could take, I could get, this is my chance. I could just have like Barrage right now. Or even like uh, Lost Rooms of Arnett, like a game I know I like, but it's like, I've, but then that game is in this weird place where I play it so much on Core Game Arena. It, it almost Do you need is, to own it? Yeah. Do I need to own it? Like I have this great implementation here and it's kind of like, am I going to like 
bring it out to teach new people. It's like, good luck, noobs. Like, I've played this game 50 times. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I told you it would only take me three sentences. I screwed it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brendan, do you have a guilty pleasure game? Hmm. I. That's so tough. I think the, the idea of this is like, do you have a game that you play? Well, I, I, I guess I don't. Magic the Gathering, I guess. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest one uh, last year, just because I know that there's probably a better use of my time and money. But when I, if a few times over the course of the past two years, I've gone in when a new set has come out and drafted a bunch. And I think that I would say that, uh, but that's mostly just playing on board game right now. So I played a bunch of Call of Time, which I loved a little bit of the Dungeons and Dragons Forgotten Realm set, which I really, really liked. And Strixhaven, which I know is a good set, but I didn't enjoy as much. What What about you, Jake? Does anything yeah. fall into that category for you? It's. I think it's an interesting question because, like, I think I don't know what the intent of the question is, but I think like the premise is like, is there like what's like the worst game that you still enjoy to play? I know that's like a category that's so very wrong about games. Does in their year end show, they're like, like what's the best game that we didn't like, and like what's the worst game that we did like? Yeah. Um, I kind of don't like that personally, just because I think like, I, I think I don't really ascribe to this belief of like some objective true value of a game. So it's yeah. like, if I like it, I like it, you know? Yeah. And even if it's like a simple broken game, like if I like playing it, like I have no qualms about that. Um, but yeah, so like when I think of guilty pleasure, I, pleasure, I'm thinking about something like magic gathering and the guilty part is not that I enjoy playing it, but it's like, okay, we kind of know this like is like this TCG marketing system is like predatory exploitative, <laughs> yeah. exploitative and like probably not the best. Uh, so maybe, you know, that makes it more of a guilty pleasure or like a game that I know has like I, my copy of five tribes. I keep meaning to mm. get the updated components, but mine has the like uh, a component original printing component. So instead of like Fakir cards, it has slave cards oh. in like a game that just like so does not need them. Uh, it's like yeah, it's like I like the game, it, but it like genuinely makes it like harder to bring to the table because it's like okay, before we start playing this, like I need to like yeah. like tell you kind of about this, and it's like uh, let's just play something else. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay, on that same topic, if we're playing something else, what if you could gain supreme mastery of that game? What would you... Okay, I'm ruining my, my transition. If you gave Supreme Mastery of any game, uh, would you? And what would the game be? I think there's an obvious like cheat answer to this, which wait, is like... At the same time. Three, two, one. Poker. Yeah. Oh, poker is way better. Yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah. poker. Yeah. Definitely poker. Yeah, like if I could just instantly like snap my fingers and be the best poker player in the world, like I'm rich, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. So I think that that's sort of like the cheat answer. But I think they're the interesting, more interesting to think about is like what games become more fun to play the better you are at them. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't, I think that's hard to say without knowing for sure uh, because I'm not already an expert at them. Like when I watch sometimes uh, chess videos on YouTube, um, it seems like I'm like, wow, that's like amazing that like people are like this good at this game and can like see all this, these lines and think that far out in advance. It seems really fun. Like, I think that would be fun to be able to do, but again, I don't really know that. What about the resistance? Just like, that's like a similar type of answer, but more board gamey, right? Because that means you can completely tell if someone's telling the truth or lying at any moment. What a cool skill. I think that I think the resistance. Awesome. That's a that's really good one. I like that a lot too. Yeah. Also just games that have like stakes. Like I guess like you can make money playing Magic the Gathering technically. Um yeah, but yeah, there there's a, a, a scant few games out there that like Supreme Mastery comes with like money and prestige. So it'd be hard to not like pick one of those, I think. My non tryhard answer is definitely Tigress and Euphrates for reason yeah. we we covered last week. I, that came to mind for me too. Yeah. Nice. All right. Um let's see, how much time do we have left here? Ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah, we got time for a few more. Okay. This is a really great question, a little bit more thoughtful one. What is the most impactful game you've ever played? Not necessarily your favorite, but the one that's made the biggest impression. Mm. Okay, so for me, the answer is definitely Pandemic. And it's only because Pandemic was my portal into the hobby. So I went into a local comic book store in Corvallis, Oregon, 
And I asked them if they had a copy of The Resistance, which I'd heard was an amazing game. And they said, no, but would you like to demo a copy? Oh, no, and, I, and we're looking for a copy of Set, too, a game that my wife, Maya, really loves. They said, no, but do you want to demo this game of Pandemic? I already set it up. We could just play a few turns. Played it, and I was, both Maya and I were like, this is incredible. We have to own it. And that's really what kicked off me playing board games in a modern capacity. So I think I have to give the answer to Pandemic because it changed how I, what I thought board games could be. What about you, Jake? That's so crazy. I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but like for me, same game, same reason. No. Uh, yeah. Wait, a demo? Some, a demo too? Not a demo. But, okay. No, but very similar. So uh, this was like in, it's like winter, like Christmas time of 2014 or 2015, one of those years, like when, and uh, I was going to visit my then girlfriend, now wife's parents for the first time. And I was just Googling like gifts for girlfriend's mm. parents for Christmas. And pandemic came up. It's just some random list somebody had made. Uh, and one of the items on that list was like board games. Like, did you know board games are actually like really dope now? And I was like, really? Like, are they? And like, you know, kind of in the back of my head, like I had, a, a, you know, a lot of fun experience playing Catan with roommates in college and Magic before that. So I, like my interest was like already peaked. Um, and so I go into the board game store like the next day. Uh, and just like ask, like, uh, think about getting a gift for my girlfriend's parents, like anything that'd be like fun to like do with them. And he sold me a copy of Pandemic. That's awesome. And then Bridget and I thought, like, well, we should like learn how to play this if we are going to teach them. Play yeah. yeah, teach them. So we opened it up, played a game of it, and it was just like, oh, we're keeping this copy. <laughs> like, this is so fun. That's and, awesome. Yeah, like the rest of this history. That's so cool, Jay. Yeah. If someone gave you a week of vacation to do one of two things, design a board game, and I'm going to count like play test and develop it in that time, just like you get to spend a week doing that, or play a board game, play it a bunch over and over with a group of people that you would enjoy to play with, uh, let's say in the location of your choosing as well, which would you choose? And if you pick play, what game are you playing? I think design a board game is, well, am I allowed to pick mega dexterity games? Oh my gosh, sure. Because I think uh, if I had a week to go to like an Airbnb in like Colorado and spend that time playing all the disc golf courses in the area or some other like disc golf hotbed, that's like my ideal vacation. Nice. Uh, okay. I would pick that and I would absolutely have the best time doing that. If we're talking about like an actual, uh, and I'm kind of diluting my bit a little bit, that's for our board <laughs> games. But if we had to pick like a, uh, you know, a table board game. Yeah. I think I would opt for designing. I just think I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of any games that I would want to exclusively play all week long. If I had to pick a table board game to play, it would probably be a dueling card game of some kind. It could be like mm. Magic, Keyforge, uh, or even like trying like a week to get into Flesh and Blood. Like if I just had like unlimited packs to crack and could sit there and like play Sealed, uh, and, and, or like, you know, make decks and do that. I think like that type of system would offer the most like variability and, and to be like, continue to be engaging and fun if for playing one game nonstop. Yeah. I think this question gets a lot harder if you get to pick a different game for seven days mm -hmm. or like seven or 10 games that you just get to play for a week because I too would pick designing, especially if development and like playtesting goes along with that. But it gets harder. I think like if it was to take 15 games, a week of my life dedicated to playing or a week of my life dedicated to designing, I'm still picking designing, but it's closer. Uh, if you had to pick one table board game. What would I take? Yeah. I want to take El Grande. Okay. You just want to play like four, game, four or five games of El Grande every day for seven I, days? I think it could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But you're talking to someone who on Sunday played seven games of Trails of Tucano with Maya. Like, I have a sickness. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. Not Cascadia. You could get to oh. play 300. We <laughs> Okay, wait. We, we have a Cascadia question we do. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's answer it. The question is something along the lines of, like, what's the, what's the upper limit on how many times Brennan and Maya are going to play Cascadia? The saturation point. Okay, so let me update you. We're on play 99, and we have definitely slowed down, right? We recorded the show at play 60 or so. Um, I can't remember what it was. And now we're almost to play 100. We're almost done with the sheet. 
So I think that's the answer. I think we're about at the saturation point. We'll still pull it out occasionally, but we want to explore other things too. That's my yeah. answer. I All love right. it. I would keep playing it. I will play. I would play it 200 times or 300 times. It's just the opportunity cost now. I want to explore other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe one or two more here. So, Brendan, is there what game, board game, table board game? Now, I, now I've put myself <laughs> in a corner. I have to keep saying table board game for the rest <laughs> of my life. What table board game would you most want to turn into a mega dexterity game? This question is so hard. Have you played the game? Because not that many games make the transition to sports well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I don't really totally understand the question because how do you like tr- how do you translate something like Seven Wonders into a Mega Dexterity game? Except if the cars were like giant or something, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you have to just you scale anything up enough, it's going to be a Mega Dexterity game, I guess. And more expensive cards are heavier. I don't know. Have you played uh, Coconuts? No. Coconuts is this game where uh, everyone has this little monkey that has this spring loaded arm. And there's cups in the center of the table and you're trying to launch these little coconuts into the cups, but you have to launch the coconuts using your monkey. Uh, And it's hilarious. It's super fun. It's my favorite dexterity game. I think full scale coconuts, but not just like I'm I don't turn into the monkey. I just have a giant monkey that I'm pulling down and releasing balls into these giant baskets. That sounds really fun. So that's that sounds fun. awesome. What about you, Jake? Um, have you played the game Shifty Eyed Spies? No. Okay, Shifty Eyed Spies is like an a weird one. It's like an early Prospero Hall game, like before okay. they were like the Prospero Hall, like releasing all these big uh, hits. Uh, so it's a game that was like a, probably a Target exclusive or something that I picked up at one point off of a, a positive review I heard somewhere. Um, and basically what this game is, is like you're all simultaneously like spies and and, and trying to like send and receive secret messages. Um, so I'm, it's been a while since I played, so I might not be getting the rules exactly right, but it's something like there's like six different colors in the game. So everybody like represents a color. Uh, so if you're the green player and I'm also, I'm like the black player, like I might have a card in my hand that says like green player. Mm-hmm. And what I have to do is wink at you without anyone at the table who's also looking around trying to wink at other people like seeing and like calling out like, Hey, you just winked. Uh, and then if you receive my message, you have to use your eyes to look at one of the, like there's like four different objects that represent locations on the table. So there's like a newsstand, like a swimming pool, a coffee shop, something like that. So I like wink at you and you look at your card and you see like where you need to like receive the thing. So like you look at the newsstand. So then I put the news the card in the newsstand and you pick it up. And if we like succeed in that, we both get points. It's something like that. Awesome. Anyway, so I think that just like blown up huge is almost like a multi-faction game of like capture the flag where you're like secretly trying all trying to like both like mm. communicate, like deliver a, a flag to one specific person while like protecting the different flags from different people. I think there could be some upside to that. Interesting. I, I could see it. At first, I was like, Jake, where in the world are you going with this? But I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm seeing it. Yeah. Jake, who is your f- favorite non-male designer? Let's see. And I can, I have a, let me go first because I have okay. a few people I want to talk about. So, okay. One person who I want to shout out, shout out is my most recent game playing non-male designer that I really love is Lost Ruins of Arnak. It's designed by Michaela Stachova, which she's credited as Min on the cover. Uh, That game's amazing. I think Molly Johnson deserves a shout out. She's designed games like Truffle Shuffle, Point Salad, Dollars to Donuts, the new game Verdant, and also 10. Uh, She's designing tons of really cool card games that I am very intrigued by. Uh, You might also know these as like the Flat Out Games slash AEG new hits. A lot of those are designed by Molly Johnson. and then I would also like to say Marsha Falco. She designed Set, which I talked about before. Set's this incredible card game uh, that has to do with pattern recognition that I don't think Jake and I will ever cover on the show, but it's a huge hit and an important game to myself and Maya. Uh, she played it growing up uh, at camp with her friends. And then my final answer is Susan McKinley Ross, who designed Quirkle, mostly because I think Quirkle's awesome, but also because she changed the way that I think about games in a real way, which I've talked about in the past on the show. 
Yeah, um, I think I'm actually recording this in the basement. So as I like look through myself here, uh, I think the the first designer that came to mind is Elizabeth Hargrave, designer of Wingspan, and which is a game I maybe we'll cover on the show at some point. I know it's a game that a lot of people would like for us to cover. It's a game that's been a big hit with my friends. So yeah, I think I would, I, I might say that, but I'm also realizing just at the question that like my knowledge of non-male game designers is pretty shameful. And we actually talked about this recently in our discord about like that. We I think we would both like to make an a more intentional effort to cover designers that aren't so white and male dominant Definitely. that we have done thus far in the past, which I think also just kind of like speaks to a larger question of like, right. We didn't choose to cover white male designers, but just by like not actively trying to reach outside of that, that's like what just sort of happens. And that's sort of the way privilege and dominant groups kind of continue to manifest we keep reinforcing the same ideas and so people hear about these games on our show so they're likely to play them and talk about them more uh, and kind of increase that benefit so definitely something uh, that we're thinking about and want to do a better job of in the future make sure to spotlight designers that don't look exactly like us definitely well put can we end on um, one more yeah let's do it question um shoot i had it in my head and now it's gone Okay, you find it, and I'm going to answer this question really quickly. Would you rather live with one horse-sized Reiner Kinesia or 100 duck-sized Steffenfelds? Obviously, one horse-sized Reiner Kinesia. It'd be strange, but it wouldn't be as inconvenient as living with 100 duck-sized Steffenfelds. That's just too many beings in one abode. Like, you don't want that. Think about the line for the bathroom. How many bathrooms would you need? That's, no. Just live with one really big Reiner Kinesia. Way better. It's not even that big. It's just a horse size. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this was a follow-up to your comment that Set is a game that we would never probably cover on this show. Uh, so let's end with this question. And I think this was a ton of fun. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your questions. It's something maybe we'll do again in a year's time, uh, way down the line. But if there's questions that you know we didn't answer that you'd love for us to hear, you can ask us them now. Uh, we can be found in our Discord just all the time. Uh, we'll answer your questions on Twitter. Uh, through email, you know, all the other places. But let's end with this question, Brendan, which is, what is one game that you'd love to cover on this show, but you think that your co-host would not let you? Hmm. Oh, that's really hard. I there's. I wish we could cover every single Reiner Kinesia tile lane game at some point. Right? So I want to do Samurai. I want to do Tigris Freddy's. We're already done, Jake. We, we did one-six of the, the ones ca classically considered. Uh, also Through the Desert, also Blue Lagoon, also Babylonia, and also Yellow and Yangtze. We could do it. It would be so good. Can we do it? Um, uh, uh, I'll get back to you on that. Okay, I, so that might be my answer. I, I thought you were going to say uh, Go, since you recently proposed a three-part learn-to-play Go episode <laughs> series. Oh, yeah. If you'd love to hear a three-part Go episode, like you can let us know that, too. I was thinking like maybe one part, maybe. I, th I, think, I think my answer is Battlecon. I've been wanting to cover Battlecon in this show since the very beginning. No, no, no. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. You never will do it. No, it's going to happen. You say it'll happen, but then you won't do it. Oh, too busy. Oh, I just had a baby. <laughs> We're going to cover Battlecon. It's going to happen. Because I think with your experience and expertise in fighting games and the fighting game scene, you know, that's like something that our show, I think, could really do in a different way than other people have done. I think yeah. that would be super fun and I would be really excited about. And maybe like, yeah, maybe Flesh and Blood, too, if you mm. say we cover about something like that, like a more involved like dueling card game that'd be tough to get into. That, well, we could do, okay, we're going to talk. We're going to we'll talk. We'll talk. All right. So lots of exciting stuff. Brendan can't say no to me, so. Uh, apparently. Uh, so we'll have more exciting BattleCon content for you in the near future. Why don't you send us home? Yeah. So thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you all had as much fun as we did. And there's a ton of other questions in here that we might turn into whole episodes. And like Jake said, if you have more questions for us, let us know. Or if you have episode ideas that you'd like us to discuss in the future, we'd love to hear those too. You can find our Discord link in the show notes. It's basically an online chat room that you can join from your browser where you can talk with us and other decision space listeners like you who are way smarter than us and are love talking about games. 
Um, and also, you could reach out to us and let us know your thoughts at by email, decisionspot at gmail.com. A few of you have been emailing us, which I really, really appreciate, and just some really thoughtful, awesome notes. And we really appreciate when that happens. Coming up, we're going to cover Sushi Go, like we said at the top of the show. And I think with that, we'll see you next week for that episode. And I'm not going to shout out Twitter or anything. It's been a long episode. And you could probably find us. You're smart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But don't forget to nominate us for the Golden Geek Award and then not vote for us in the final round. Thank you so much. Please do it. Okay, have a good week.